It is TF once again. It's a free episode. It is me, Riley, and I am joined. You could maybe tell when I said it was a free episode uh, that an annoying drive time radio voice didn't immediately chime in and stomp <laughs> all over me announcing uh, my co host and our guest. I'm joined exclusively by Allison Hussein today. <laughs> yeah, I was tempted, but look, I can't do voices. I'm not going to try no, to do voices. No, I, I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to appropriate Milo's culture of of doing the voice. So, yeah, Milo's culture of being annoying. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> annoying me and everybody else with his insistence on doing that thing. So ba- bask, bask in the sort of uh, warm professionalism of the embrace of a podcast where that doesn't happen. Genie, you're uh, free. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And uh, we are very pleased uh, to be joined today uh, by Jonathan Bernhardt um, of... Uh, the patch notes uh, with um, no cartridge, uh, uh, which also, of course, uh, you may recognize from friend of the show, Trevor Strunk, uh, to talk to us a little bit uh, all about the Microsoft Activision merger. Jonathan, how's it going? It's going fantastic. I- I'm sad you got to say Trevor's name. It's such a satisfying name to say, Trevor Strunk. But, of course, at any time we get uh, a, a guest over from America to talk about a specialist subject in a, uh, a sort of global, in globe-spanning industries, right? Uh, issues of sort of importance, whether they are from large companies or uh, maybe uh, some kind of international institution, we must always subject them to a little bit of this island yes. before we go Unfortunately, but- Unfortunately, some Britain is going to have to be experienced <laughs> by you. <laughs> Content warning, Britain. So- so my knowledge of British politics is sort of, uh, if, if it's like a TV show, I buy the DVDs, but I don't post on the subreddit. I know like <laughs> just enough for the people who actually know what they're talking about to get annoyed at me uh, because <laughs> oh, I get like 10 to 20% of it wrong. Um, oh, perfect. So, so you'll have an enjoyable session, I think, with me. I, I, I started, I, started uh, I, I picked up the show with Brexit, which, was, uh, which I think a lot of Americans did. I think so uh, really, a lot of us really started paying attention. Yeah, this is our season one finale of Britain. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think what, what you're in this position of is you're watching Britain with, like, dubs. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've got, like, and uh, you have a Matt Hancock t-shirt that you wear, mm. just, like, in case another Britain fan sees you in the street. It's like, oh, my God, a Britain fan. But you don't <laughs> really know what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, speaking of which, you see our, our our little lad went for a doggy paddle in the serpentine. He's looking so good. He's looking so healthy. He's looking awesome. I'm, I'm so I glad. Just, he, what I love about, I think, I mean, look, what I think is funnest about him is how, for some reason, he appears to have been cursed by a witch in as much as he always, like, he can, his face is never normal. No. Ever. No. no. Uh, oh, yeah, I've like, seen pictures of him. Um, I mean, his face is never normal. Describes a lot of of uh, politicians on your island, uh, but no, this this is the guy who got fired for fucking his advisor. But he got fired because he was fucking his advisor in violation of COVID regulations, right? Yes, the very okay. Sense. All right, yeah, he wasn't and, wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he wasn't using a dental dam, uh, <laughs> which is now required. You have to have one on that's you at right, all times. That's right. 
the fact when when Boris like relaxed all the COVID rules to like say to like the son like please like me again and it sort of worked. Uh, he was like, yeah, he, the new COVID rules is you have to use a dental dam like for every social interaction. <laughs> really um, hard to talk with this thing on, but uh... <laughs> um, no. So no. So basically, before we get into Britain, though, I heard from an old friend of ours. Hmm. Um, who here remembers view windows? Oh, the thing that would tell you whether it was raining outside, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The smart window that's like, here's what it's like outside, <laughs> uh, among other things. Apparently, uh, there is no way for them to make a profit. Oh. Uh, well, we could, <laughs> we could have wow. fucking told you that, and we did. <laughs> how how will I know if it's raining or not? Yeah, well, I, I, you'll never know. You're gonna have to <laughs> say what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna always have to pack. Both an umbrella and a parasol at all times, just mm. in case. Well, what they need uh, to do is they need to figure out a way to do some arbitrage with that, like to be mm. able to figure out a way to sell the fact that it that they know it's raining in the split second before you check the actual window. Yeah, micro frequency um, like uh, yeah. rain prediction. Oh, oh, it could be. It could. They could. They could front run that information to guys who will come and stand outside your office and sell you an umbrella for like ten pounds. Perfect. <laughs> Jesus. No, no, right. not sell. Rent. Rent. This is a rentier economy. That's right. They'll, they'll license you an umbrella experience. Um, so uh, uh, this is from Bloomberg. Uh, while burning cash isn't uncommon among startups, true enough, View's manufacturing process was so expensive that it has hindered the company's chances of ever making a profit ever, said 12 employees, former employees, and one current employee. They will never quote. They will never be able to sell the glass at a price that will cover the cost. A former employee familiar with Views finances predicted, uh, View was kept afloat with a two hundred and fifty million dollar loan in twenty nineteen from Greensill. Right, that's great. Right. I just love friends helping each other. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so was also, that that was the right. actual quote that said we're totally fucked. Like they gave yeah, that quote, that quote on the quote. record. Excellent. Yes. They will never be able to sell the glass at a price that will cover the cost. That's the quote. <laughs> <laughs> God, awesome! This is what happened. I think part of this, like, you have to understand how stupid SoftBank got, like, as a function of Saudi politics, mm. right? Where it's like the moment that MBS like locked up his entire extended family in the ballroom at the Ramada, like, <laughs> a, a, the second that happened, then Massa and MBS are just two guys that just kept talking each other up and daring each other to go further. And that's why we have like these you know, multi-billion dollar valued uh, startups that like make windows somehow more expensive, but that don't like do anything. <laughs> we work. We work was a soft bank project, oh, right? Oh, soft was bank it ever? Collab. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just it's just if you it's the WeWork, yeah, that one was made all the headlines. But if you scratch in further, there are tons of WeWorks in there and it's really fun pulling them all apart. Deep cuts, um, early albums. Yeah, someone should make a podcast about that. Mm. <laughs> uh, that podcast has already been made. Uh the other uh, two others actually. Uh great there's a uh, more more stuff with Green Cell, but we, I want to revisit that like Wait, give it more time. And also, OYO is still going public, but every time they announce their pub their uh, share price publicly, it's always like a double digit percent uh, cheaper than the last time they announced it. Fantastic! So they yeah, I, so. I love the machine that kills hotels so fucking much, dude. It's easily it's my, my favorite startup we've ever done. Oh, by a fucking mile, it is my the most fun startup. <laughs> just just this, just a big old thresher. But no. I want to talk a little bit about British politics. I got to start up and then we're going to go into the Microsoft Activision stuff. So 
Uh, in the ongoing slow rolled uh, kind of return of politics to normal, uh, now that it's been sort of quite thoroughly uh, bisected from any kind of material base and is now just a fun show for people addicted to the news, hmm. um, what we've what has happened is uh, a new a 2019 intake Tory MP called Christian Wakeford, who represents Bury South, uh, has defected to uh, Labour, basically saying, "Well." I can imagine myself under Keir Starmer's leadership uh, and Boris Johnson is, you know, betraying the various yeah, principles he, he, he was like. The usual the shit. Um, yeah. and, and that like Boris knew about this like a minute before PMQ started, which is yeah. very funny. Yeah, which admittedly, that is very funny. Um, but, you know, as, as, as part of the ongoing drama, right, part of this is that into into to operation save big dog as they literally I, did I call hate it so much that it's fucking called operation save wait so big there's dog. like there was like operation big dog when there was operation red meat mm -hmm. they love they, many... they, they love getting operations they're just like me yeah <laughs> <laughs> Allison Hussein did you guys have big dog t-shirts over there did we did that no that I ever think that's make an it American over? phenomenon like I only know about okay. them because of Twitter of all things. Because it has a it has a unique dimension, yeah. So basically, right? So that that's what has happened. And then, obviously, like if you look at everything he has voted for since he's been in parliament, like yeah, he's basically like voted to yeah turn Trident on channel migrants and like make it so that like the government could fire you at a trebuchet if you go to a protest. Like every awful thing this government wants to do, he's lined up four square behind. And then he's just like, ah, I don't care for the brand of leadership of Boris Johnson. I prefer the brand of leadership of Keir Starmer. And they're like, hey, yeah, of course, come on over here. Which, again, Alice, as you and I were talking about, like, yeah, it makes sense in terms of electoral politics to, like, score a win off of your enemy. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like, like there's, no, there's in, no reason not to let him in the party. I think Corbyn would have done it, too. But also, he's a piece of shit. Also, it's a massive, yeah. like, insult to the constituency Labour Party. But... Like, yeah. I, I feel like that's a limit to electoral politics. It's like, Keir Starmer's job, for better or for worse, is to corral a shitload of rats together, and like, <laughs> scum, and awful people. Uh, and, and to then go, oh, well this rat has mange on it, and it's just trying to get into your thing to get out of the sinking ship. It's like, well, yeah, okay, sure, but that's, that's like his job, that's what the point yeah. of this thing is. But the other thing, right, I, th I, I actually say, I think the question of whether or not Corbyn would have let him in is irrelevant mm. because he wouldn't have gone over to a Corbyn Labour Party because that was more connected to like the material yeah, needs that's of people. True. It would that be a true. moot question. That, 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 that's the sort of yeah. like there's there's two things that you I think you can fairly criticize Starmer for here, and I I hate to be fair to Keir Starmer, like letting him in the party. I don't think is one of them. I think it's like going to be running him at the next election is going to be one thing, uh, and I think the other is just in general having put the party on this course where. Uh, the, the guy can say with a straight face, listen, I'm, I'm a centrist, my views haven't changed, I've only changed the colour of my rosette. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, you've really fucking, you know, said the quiet part loud there. Yeah, well, because th that's what he was brought in to do, right? Yes, and it's like, yes. It's like, should he be, I think the question is, should he be in a party I would, so I or any, indeed any of us would support? No, of course not. But Starmer's job, like, is to make the Labour Party just about what colour tie well, you wear. Well, this was also the week where Rachel Reeves, at least she was quoted in the FT, I don't know whether she was speaking to the FT, basically saying that, like, 
Um, so like Labour is obviously like hemorrhaging money hmm. uh, because of like declining wow. and falling memberships. <laughs> they should get um, SoftBank to invest in this, them. <laughs> Well, I tweet. I, I said. I said. I said Labour should just become a tech company and get SoftBank funding. And I think actually, <laughs> I think actually that's like a pretty good idea. But that's what um, they fucking want to do. Right. That's what yeah, they. That's, it, that's all they want to do. That's all they want to um, be. So Rachel Reeves basically says that like you know it's completely fine that we're hemorrhaging money because. Um, all these members, um, they were actually like people who were working against the Labour Party anyway. Um, so we don't really need them and we'll make it up with like, guess who? Centrist, sensible voters um, who just want like a normal party um, that like kind of gets on board with slogans. But like anyone who's kind of like, I, I've sort of, I, I ha- I've not been really trying to talk much about Labour because I think that you can live a perfectly normal and happy life by pretending they don't exist. Um, <laughs> and it won't like affect your material condition. It won't, it won't affect like anything in your life if they, you just didn't think that they existed at all. Um, but like the point is, is that you're right. Like this was like the reason that Keir Starmer is sort of in his place is to get rid of like a faction of like the party. And now that he has done that, he's basically served his purpose. And what's happened at the moment is that no one really gave that much of a shit about like what was, you know, the kind of corruption in the conservative party, because that's been happening like long before the pandemic. And that's been happening long before lockdown yeah, parties. Absolutely. No one, no one has ever given a shit about it. What they, what has happened now, like by just like the purest of not even kind of coincidences, but just like the Tories being more open fish than they usually are and sort of taking it once like finally crossing that line ever so slightly by having fun when no one else was like allowed or like you know again as milo kind of has said before um not being as miserable as everyone else Mm. uh like at a particular time or like you know having like these kind of lame parties that's the thing that's crossed the line so now keir starmer has found himself in this like really peculiar position of like being be like able to kind of feasibly win a hypothetical election um, if it was going to be held tomorrow. Um, so like his purpose, his, he's already, well, basically what I want to say is like he's so, he served his purpose. He's now in this bizarre situation, but I don't think that most people ever thought that he would ever be in any way. And now they're trying to like figure out, okay, what, like, what, what, what are we supposed to do? Mm. Well, I tell you what they're supposed to do, right? Is uh, it's, it's their, their, their cuck tig. They're change UK now. Like UKIP came in and took over the Conservative Party from the outside. Basically, like they just ha- they're just UKIP now. <laughs> Cuck Tig took over Labour just by like making like, like a like, weird hey, liberal wanna- protest party. Yeah. yeah, we were yeah, we were we were owned we were owned by Mike Gapes. He's been playing the long That's game true. this whole time. He's, he's, he's been, been hiding. He's been Joker. hiding in the sh- he's been hiding in the shadows like a Palpatine figure. I don't know where. Like that's the best I can come up with. <laughs> um, yeah, like this is this is my this is Mike Gapes' world, and we're just like living in it. That's true. That's right. That's true. But, but genuinely, and then uh, John, I want to sort of get your get your read on the view from the states, as per usual. Uh, right, is that it feels like arguing about whether or not like any any all the uh, you you've excluded Jeremy Corbyn from the party, but you're letting in Christian Wakefield, and it's like, well, yeah, of course they're hypocrites who like bend and break well, the rules for their own. Stakes, so, that's, yeah, that's table stakes. That's what the rules are there to do. They're there to be abused. That they're to be abused by the establishment to marginalize people they don't like, and then to bind people they don't like and protect people they do like. Like that's table stakes. Like understand that that arguing about the justice of this is less important than understanding the sort of actual distribution of power that led to this being like a fait accompli. Yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, John, what do you what do you, what's your take on sort of 
on, on this on the general sort of transformation that we're witnessing over here in these stupid islands. So an interesting difference between the U.S. and the U.K. on this is that there seems to actually be something that animates the British public about in a in a moral way. Yes, but no, specifically here. I mean, yes, spite, but specifically here, the there's been a string from the Dominic Cummings incident with the long drive to Matt Hancock's firing to this, where it actually does seem to significantly matter to the British public that these Tories were having fun and breaking the rules when no one else was allowed to, Hmm. Um, which doesn't really exist over here. Like we've like, uh, uh, what's his face? Gavin Newsom, the governor of California got in trouble for going to the French laundry and having, you know, having that. I would have done that. In this position. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's sort of a special case in the sense that it's California. And I guess you have the most weird process liberals there. And the Republicans saw it as a really cynical opportunity to do the recall campaign for him because California's recall laws are insane, just like everything else about how that state's government is set up. Um, but, you, you know, this seems like a, a really matter of weird, specific, Baroque, stupid principle um, uh, about specifically like, yeah, about specifically Boris dancing and going out to the shop with the the suitcase and filling it up with beer. I think it's all very funny. My question is, is any of this happening if the election is October 2022 instead of October 2025 or whatever? I think the way to answer that question is to say, actually, it's not necessarily the British public that's got very head up about this. It's that the British uh, sort of media establishment kind of knows when knows the the, the the media, the state, the Tory party and industry in Britain is like even more closely connected than like in America. And so they kind of understood that Boris is like a he, he, appear, he is I'm not saying he's used I mean anything could happen predictions a mugs game but they the 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 mood appeared to be well he's he's no longer as useful to us as he could be uh and the and Starmer has proven like he's not going to threaten anything about us so um and so I think it's not so much that people were upset at the parties it's that British people respond to the tone of coverage basically one to one they're like dogs they hear tone instead yeah. of content <laughs> exactly uh and so they, it's um, and and so essentially, right? Like, especially like British right wingers, like they, the 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 sent the idea of what is sensible in this country basically is governed by tone, like coverage tone, right? So I think it was just like, yeah, well, this is just how this is how this is going to be covered, and then so the Sun will like I don't know how or like the 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 Times or whatever will have like a little leader of Boris looking sweaty. And then, like, remind you that he was somehow, like, obliquely disrespected the queen, which if there was a viable alternative that threatened them, they wouldn't do. And if he was still serving their interests, they wouldn't focus on, basically. So I think that that's the way to understand it. Some very funny Guardian web roles where with, like, 20 Boris stories on the entire front page. Um, <laughs> what a great. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I think the, the, the final I think the my final thought on the Christian Wakeford thing, right, is that. You know, this, at this point, like this is now mascots. You know, you're sort of you're cheering that, like you know, Mister Met has gone and shaken hands. Uh, you know, with uh, the the whoever the mascot for the Yankees is. Well, I, I only know one. That. 
because I yeah, love bipartisan. <laughs> yeah, you're you're like you're sort of you're us. You're aghast that Chester Cheetah has appeared in a Lay's potato chips commercial, <laughs> right? Like that's this is now mascots. The like, Sprint phone like, guy changing sides to Verizon. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what this is. And to read anything further into it, like in terms of if you're if you're interested in what is the material basis and consequence of electoral politics and you're reading into this anything more than um yeah the 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 Verizon guy doing a sprint ad then you are a fool uh and i you know that's that's it there's nothing more i can do for you uh all right that's enough britain this is a stupid place let's do a startup the startup is called usto usto o o s t o uh it's a finnish dude that's the <laughs> I don't know. That's right. It's like one Finnish man. <laughs> this is our startup. We're bringing a single Finnish man to market. <laughs> That's right. So- That's an answer that Americans give when asked to name a country, a, a, a city in Finland, and they're misremembering Oslo. <laughs> so uh, Norway. This, uh, I'll tell you this. SoftBank has invested in it. Okay. Good, promising stuff. Uh, it changed its name in 2019. Uh, f- f- can you tell us from what? Uh, any vision. Any vision. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll even. I'll even. Before I ask John and Hussein, I'll even give you all the first line of the copy. Oh, please, you're so generous. Protect the people that propel your business, John. Usto used to be called Any Vision. Protect the people that propel your business. SoftBank invest invested fuck tons of money into it. Am I supposed to tell you what they do? What do you think it does? Um. Identity protection services for for HR records. Not identity protection, Hussein. Identity it's a, theft. It's 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 a gig economy. Uh, it's a gig economy private army. Um, there to protect like rich investors and uh, just like general dodgy people. Yeah, it's called Outer Heaven, uh, and it's been funded <laughs> by uh, by SoftBank. Yeah, it's 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 mercenary. It's a, it's a mercenary force, but you can uh, you can uh, customize it using an app. They yeah. bought too uh, many put, diamond dogs and had to put them down. <laughs> we, we've pu- we've put Psychomantis on the blockchain. Uh, you, you're you're going to have to unplug your computer to fight him. Um, no, uh, so it is. Uh, I'll I'll get into it, but uh, I won't because there's a lot here. I'm not going to do too much more guessing. They say. You can identify persons of interest in real time with live facial recognition, enabling your security team to rapidly respond to threats while protecting the privacy of bystanders. Oh no! Oh Great. no! <laughs> oh, Ooh, this is taking a much darker turn yeah. than I thought it might have done. Uh, okay. Usto. Usto helps you to identify potential suspects who could be working together by ingesting video from disparate sources love to and search across video them. From disparate sources, <laughs> allowing you that shit constantly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it watches multiple YouTube videos. It watches it, it, it with Usto. You can be listening to like a boiler room mix, and then also watching somebody uh, do an all AI Civ Six game. You can do both of those things. Right, fantastic. Uh, yeah, no, uh, and then and find connections between people that may not have been immediately obvious through. And here's another word that's going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting in this sentence. Ethical machine learning models and state-of-the-art privacy controls. Usto identifies persons of interest while protecting the identity of bystanders. Wait a second. Yeah. What's the timeline here? Did these guys get their business model by playing watchdogs and seeing who the <laughs> villains were? Because that, that's literally C-Tech from those yeah. games. 
So I'll give you an example of a use case. They give a, a use case as using Usto in a casino. The sheer square footage of casino floors, conference and event centers, and back-end facilities make it very difficult to manage security Sometimes efficiently. it's difficult to know whose thumbs to break, but with our help... <laughs> we used to just break all of them. <laughs> now, with Usto... <laughs> Thanks, yeah, Usto. With, with Usto, <laughs> you, know, you know whose head to put in a vice. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you are protecting Usto? I'll whack this piece of shit. Uh, okay. Uh... Uh, uh, Usto helps your casino identify persons of interest, such as felons, professional blackjack players, known prostitutes, uh -huh. and even VIPs, helping you preserve profits, time, and reputation. Yeah, this is just this is just watchdogs. You just get to you, you hold down L one and you get a little like one line bio of the person, right? I wonder if it's intentional how many times they're using person of interest, the name of that CBS show, in this copy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it helps you identify the actors from Person of Interest on CBS. <laughs> it's the guy driving a your car into a wall and shooting a handgun. <laughs> Look, if you are owning a casino and the cast of Person of Interest on CBS comes in, you need to make sure they are walked right to the high stakes tables. Yeah. Um, um, Jim Caviezel has Jesus telling him it's time to uh, bet on black. <laughs> Um, is he in person of interest? I yeah, he's the lead. Um, there was a very funny—I forget who it was. Was it the Truanon people who did the who did an episode? The Jim on Caviezel him? show. Jim Caviezel. Yeah, them he's, are QAnon anonymous. He's yeah, he's deeply insane. Um, like to the point where I, like I, I just made a joke about him crashing the car. He's no, he was eventually forbidden from driving on set because he would just crash the cars. He was forbidden from handling the prop guns because he'd do the shit you're not supposed to do with prop guns that gets people killed. Mm -hmm. um, he had to, he, he had to, the, you know, they basically had to treat him like a, a, first they treated him like a child, then like a, a dog, then sort of like a robot was, was sort of the progression <laughs> that they seemed the to go through with dealing with him. He'd love it over here. Oh, yeah, he'd do he and Matt Hancock well, yeah. would be best friends. Um, no, so, basically, so that's what it is right now. It's saying, look, we're not for law enforcement. We don't do law enforcement no, we're stuff. We're to protect private your companies to do business. law enforcement-related things. Well, yeah, you've kind of cracked the case here, Alice. Yes, that's more or less like, what it it's is. It's like Citizen, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah, which, exactly. Great, fantastic. I feel but wonderful about It's this. like Citizen that will also, like, you know how, um, like, police... If you have like, I don't know, if you wear a blue shirt and they want to arrest you, they'll be like, ah, that's Crip colors. We're going to arrest sure, you. Sure. Yeah. Right. Any kind of like pretextual yeah. law enforcement thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And it, or if you like are Facebook friends with someone with like, uh, you know, someone who was in a drill music video, you know, the, the, like the police over here will use artificial intelligence to like find you and put you on yeah, various and, lists. And, and, and that here, you can never like, leave. because it's not a law enforcement action, like, okay, you can violate people's civil rights, you don't have qualified immunity or whatever, but like, you're not doing anything that requires a police power. You can ask someone to leave because the computer, you know, mm -hmm. ask this person to leave with basically no oversight because it's a black box. You can say, well, yeah. the, the, you know, ask, ask uh, fucking Usto or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the computer said you were, but also what it does, it establishes connections between people so they can say ah the computer said you were with that guy that's that's it's, interesting yeah. because that's a little bit of counterinsurgency coming home that's a yep. that's a classic sort of thing that we were doing in counterinsurgency was like mapping relationships between people like that oh, so that's god alice you keep re prefiguring stuff that's about to come up <laughs> by was this founded by former intelligence guys 
Um, yeah. I don't know if they were former intelligence, but uh, do you want to give me a guess as to what country it was founded Israel. in? Yep, there it is. Ding, yep, ding, 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 ding. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm so good at this. Yep. I'm on a roll tonight. So, so what's actually going on here is they're repurposing national security and law enforcement technology and like as a middleman vendor, right? Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Which, right. which is That's a very lucrative going. business model for all kinds of shit. Um, so, yeah, why not? Uh, so they changed their name from Any Vision to Usto uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah, for, for, um, <laughs> for, for, for a number of reasons. Don't worry about it. So with the name change, uh, the CEO, Avi Golan, remarks, uh, historically, the company has been focused on security related use cases for our watch list alerting and touchless access control solutions. Uh-huh. With the launch of Beyond the Lens of Security to include ways our solutions can positively impact an organization's safety, productivity, and customer experience. What they've basically done is they've just like sca- they've created Dark Fuko and then made him into like the ghost in the machine of this camera company. Um, <laughs> so, what did they do right. as AnyVision? So, this is from Olivia Solon at NBC. AnyVision sells an advanced tactical surveillance software system called Better Tomorrow, which feels very on the nose. <laughs> um, well, you, w- you wouldn't want a primitive like uh, surveillance solution. You know, called you? Worse Tomorrow? Worse Yesterday? Oh. Ugh, bleh, terrible. Uh, yeah, the primitive surveillance solution. Is it t- how's its body count? Is it anything like the Better Tomorrow movies? <laughs> so, they say, it... Um, According to five sources familiar with the matter, this continues to be from Olivia Solon, AnyVision's technology powers a secret military surveillance project throughout the West Bank. One source said the project is named Google Ayosh, where Ayosh refers to the occupied Palestinian territories, and Google denotes how easily it is to search for people there. Uh, So, pure evil. Uh, When NBC News first approached AnyVision for an interview, CEO at the time, Elon Etstein, denied any knowledge of Google IOSH and threatened to then threatened to sue NBC News and said that AnyVision was actually, quote, the most ethical company known to man, then went on to dispute that the West Bank was occupied and suggested that the NBC News uh, reporter had been funded by a Palestinian group. So it's headed by Israeli Trump. Playing yeah. the hits. Yeah, but playing the also, hits. I, I love Yeah, it. that's also this like the, the fa- you immediately say, number one, we're the most ethical company ever. Number two is not even occupied. And number three, who paid you to do this? The people were occupying? Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's an interesting question. Now, John, you actually know the answer to this because I gave you a hint to this yesterday. Who worked for them at the time all of that came out to handle their crisis communications? I won't yeah. say it. She's st- she works handling comms for another very important uh, agency right now. You might say a, a house that has an old man and some rabid dogs in it. Uh, that's right. The Saki bomb, baby. Jen Saki, as well as Eric Holder, uh, both worked on, on this company. So, Oh, of course Eric Holder yeah, shows So up. Holder advised, because Micro- Microsoft invested in AnyVision before like all of this happened and then they divested from them. Holder was like, uh, yeah, we can guarantee they're not using this for military surveillance or whatever. Uh, Yeah, pinky promise. Feel free to invest. Basically gave them the cover that they asked for, more or less. They gave them the rubber stamp to invest. And then Saki was like being like, basically just saying what Eilon Etchstein said. Just like, yeah, uh, (laughs) there is an occupation. Uh, Even if there was, we wouldn't be doing it. And you're being paid by them anyway, Uh, which is awesome. At least we can see with... With her White House work, she was doing it respectfully and, and not making the problem yeah, worse. Absolutely. That, you know what? Much like Christian Wakefield, she crossed over to the good team, right? I assume that's what happened and not just the all these people are fucking indistinguishable from one another. But then, right, 
in, in, uh, in July 2021, so they changed their name in October 2021, some information leaked, and this was from the markup, um, about what they were doing not in the occupied West Bank, but in New Mexico, uh, which, as we all know, counts, apparently. The land of enchantment. Yeah, that's right. They uh, they stole the crystals uh, and they used them to power. Uh, they put the, a camera on a ley line to try and film New Mexico's aura and found that the vibes were <laughs> fucked. Actually, no. So uh, they for a better tomorrow with their system. Uh, a trial was carried out in an American high school where the, sc- the d- <laughs> where uh, basically. Uh, the d- school districts police the school district police department <laughs> like the stupid fucking teens being like yo this is just like being in like jail or like occupation and they're fucking right <laughs> yeah like I said fu- this is they're just they just did Foucault <laughs> as a startup what if you were always being watched you had no idea you were being watched and also school is the same as a prison as an occupation <laughs> 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 it's just they're playing the hits um. Yeah, other, other SoftBank projects have sort of just been very subtle about it. <laughs> this one, they're just having fun with it. This is jazz, baby. Uh, so, this, the school district police department's uh, sergeant basically said, we want this trial happening in our schools because all of our officers are having trouble identifying a suspected drug dealer who's also a high school student. So it's like, what? I don't know, it's 10 police officers, like, can't find a guy who's, like, selling dime bags of weed in New Mexico high school. And they're like, all right, well, I guess we need to do, like, math. Retask the fucking spy satellites. <laughs> yep. They can't solve the C plot of a high school comedy. Yeah, that's right. Which is, you know, the weed selling kid. It's so cool. Uh, and so they're like, all right, well. We're going to log everybody's face. That means students are having their faces captured and analyzed more than a thousand times a week. So remember earlier when they were like, we promise bystanders won't be captured and analyzed. They will. <laughs> Apparently. Oh. Um, it's a lie? Yeah. Oh, come on. They can't. They're a company. That's against the rules. Um, say, they say, so not just persons of interest are captured, but like everyone. And also, again, persons of interest, that's like... How do you identify that? It's like, oh, that, that kid's got a kind of a weed dealy vibe and he just shook hands with someone else weird. Yep. Better track him and everyone he talks to and everyone who passes them in the halls, which just means everyone. And so basically, and, and so they say, right, that the algorithm then groups faces belonging to, believes it belongs to the same person, then adds them to watch lists for future use. And so even if you're not suspected of anything, they would still keep you for 30 days. So you're just on file everywhere all the time. And all of these cameras are all linked together. So any other place that has them will just like slowly start assembling these profiles of you that it's just going to oh. carry around. Uh, mm. Yeah. So they, they, that's probably yeah, fine. It's fine. Um, so a more honest sales pitch for this is it's a streamlined, cheaper way of building the building the L.A. gangs database. Uh, yeah, but it puts everyone. The one they're getting sued it over. It puts everyone yeah. on it. Oh, yeah. no. That's the L.A. gangs oh, database. Okay, yes. Great. That's correct. <laughs> Um, so, uh, the Sergeant Ruben Espinoza, the, you know, the uh, bumbling, uh, sort of, you know, police, police Sergeant, uh, who's trying to, you know, again, like deploy the NSA to find like, uh, you know, a, 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 a high school weed dealer says, let's upload the screenshots of all the students and do our search for our software for any matches that week. School district purchased any vision after a mass shooting in 2018 with the hopes that the technology would prevent other shootings. But then it just used it to spy on everyone and uh, you, for like, like petty crimes. Astonishing that that happened. 
That must be the first time a mass surveil a tool for mass surveillance has uh, has not gotten its desired target, but has somehow uh, decided that um, the kind of adequate trade off is to surveil everyone yeah, for very this is a very huge minor things. Blow for, for mass surveillance, a previously proven technology. <laughs> John, I'm sort of confused. Is the issue with these these fine and upstanding officers that they know what the guy looks like, but they literally can't find him? No, they like, all they have like goldfish memory. They can't remember what the guy looks like. Uh, well, I think they know there's a dealer at the school, and they know he's one of the students. But they want to use these cameras to like figure out which one has the dealiest vibe. Uh, like, like, Excellent. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Who would you go up to at a club and be like, "Hey, man"? Anyway, the last <laughs> thing I want to do, like one more minute on this, then we'll 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 get to the meat and potatoes. Um. They wrote an open letter to the White House complaining that like there was there may be some like regulation of facial recognition technology coming down the <laughs> pipe, which again very funny. Writing an open letter to the White House because you're worried you might be regulated is very much the I'm leaving Twitter. Please subscribe to my Substack post. Just pathetic and it President never works. Biden, my people yearn for freedom. Yeah. My people specifically are SoftBank, my investors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Feels like a move Elon Musk would do if he was less of a meme lord and more of a normal um, yeah. fucked brain uh, businessman. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely cuck shit to write an open letter to the White House because you're worried about being regulated. So, Usto, now known as Usto, of course, after the uh, debacle with mass surveilling the students, uh, Usto wants to emphasize the company's mission in developing and deploying facial recognition technology that best serves the interests of society by helping to protect and preserve lives, property, employee safety, and intellectual assets. The company defined commercial use cases as uniquely distinct from law enforcement use cases. He's been look, we're not like those. We're not like Clearview. We're not like that one. We're a good one because we work for companies rather than the police. These are meaningfully different applications. Mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. Yeah. It is critical that government leaders recognize the power of visual AI to save lives, stated CEO Golan. Visual AI today is often misunderstood and misrepresented, which is, again, it's bitch made to moan about that. You own the technology that you make. Understand that like people will buy it because they know that people you don't like hate it. Um, <laughs> As a world-leading firm in this space, we encourage regulators to conduct thoughtful due diligence in order to provide meaningful guidance and appropriate legal framework regulating the use of biometric and co biometrics in context-specific scenarios. Moreover, we need a cohesive national policy, etc. And every time they ask for a cohesive national policy, what they mean is, let us write it. Uh, mm. Absolutely. Uh, but what this has to... Usually, it's it, it comes along with, hey, we already did. If you want it, if you want it, we, we brought it with us. If you want to take <laughs> yeah, a look at it, just put here. it in there or right now. It. You yeah. know, put, put, put like a handprint on the, look, do whatever look, you want. Hey, you get this done, three-day weekend. <laughs> we are confident that as the facial recognition industry matures and adoption rates continue to increase, optimal outcomes will be achievable for all stakeholders. <laughs> Meaning, you know, the person operating the camera who tells the guy with the gun where to go and the person hoping that the camera doesn't point tell the guy with the gun to go point it at them. Stakeholders. Hmm. Uh, this starts with a common definition of what constitutes ethical facial recognition. Anyway, that's uh, Usto and AnyVision. What a company, right? Uh, this has depressed the shit out of me. Oh, sorry, sorry, Alice. Uh, I I personally can't wait to see what SoftBank does with this. Um, based on its track record, I'm sure that it will. Um, yeah, it will be one of those companies that we will not only regret lampooning on this show. Yeah, as we're being chased by hunter killer drones. That's right. Yeah, we'll have to apologize to uh, Usto. I think the thing to remember, right, 
if you don't the, before you get too depressed about this, the thing to remember is that if SoftBank invests in an AI company, usually what it means is that it's just like they have just a JVC camera and they've just like they're just said, "Oh, this it's magic. This is a magic camera." Mm. <laughs> so don't react too much to their marketing copy. Um so, I want to talk about games. It's time it's time for fun and games, which I assume the games industry is. Um so has to be. Yeah. It's got to be like Willy Wonka's Chocolate yeah, Factory. It's got <laughs> everyone loves playing games, so making them, it's got to be like everybody's having a fantastic time. It's got it. game in the name. Not if a certain Activision CEO has anything to say about it. <laughs> he really did have a lot to say about that specifically. Um, no, so a yeah. little bit of context. Uh, Microsoft uh, has recently signed a deal uh, to purchase Activision uh, for just shy of seventy bills. Um, this is just coming just after they purchased the parent company of Bethesda, uh, as well as King, the company that makes Candy Crush. Uh, Microsoft, they are uh, buying lots of games. Uh, they are becoming gamers at Microsoft. Um, <laughs> a, a genuinely <laughs> surprising piece of news, though. Well, let's, let's dive into it, right? So, uh, John, can you just give us a little bit of background sort of on what's going on yeah, here? N- number one, w- what is a computer? What is what is going on the computer? Yes. Will I still get Pong? So approximately what's going on with Microsoft's business strategy is that their new thing that uh, they just re- they just launched a console recently. The new generation of consoles just launched uh, by just I mean about a year, year and a half ago at this point. No, no, about a, just a, a full calendar year. Um, and no one's gotten them. A lot of people haven't gotten them yet because of supply chain shortages and chip shortages. And uh, something's going on with graphics cards, I think. Um, yeah, in certain, in certain industries. Yeah. Um, but the, the big selling point for the Xbox series X, uh, besides having some of the most confusing naming nomenclature, uh, available on the market today is a, uh, a forward, um, placement strategy on the games themselves. Xbox, Microsoft is selling a, uh, a rent concept called the game pass. What you do is you pay Microsoft $5, I think it's $5 a month. Uh, and you get access to an ever increasingly large library of games uh, that you that you download. You can download for free and play. Um, and since this is coming along with a with larger hard drives and the uh, adv- the uh, removal of physical media from the gaming industry, we're no longer going with Blu-ray DVDs. We're no longer going with uh, obviously cartridges are way out the window at this point uh, to everyone. But uh, Nintendo who still has them for their Switch. Uh, console. Um, we're looking at digital distribution, uh, monthly rents, and the idea of ownership receding from the the marketplace. Uh, they want your money on a regular schedule, and in return, you get to pick in and choose your treats. What this means is, uh, in the last generation, like it, was, it was it was a funny joke about about the PlayStation Three that it didn't have any games. Uh, Sony sort of took that personally with the PlayStation Four. And uh, in many ways, one, the console cycle, you can do an entire podcast about this conception of who won the console cycle, but uh, they they generally had a better product offering. It was thought uh, last generation than the Xbox X did. Um, This time, Microsoft wants to be the ones with the gaming library, with the exclusive. They're not even really concerned about the exclusives anymore because they're buying companies that already have signed PlayStation exclusives and they're honoring those because they don't really care about controlling um, just one part of the marketplace spectrum. They want 
the entire library. They want the ability to offer this Game Pass service and have it be so fundamentally useful and appreciated and convenient that it becomes a bedrock expectation. Um, Sony's sort of playing catch up here. They've got a similar program, the PlayStation Plus program, but it's not as good. Its library isn't as great and it's not moving as quickly or as fast as Microsoft is because Microsoft has a market cap in the tri- like over a trillion and Sony's market cap is like 150 billion, 200 billion, something like that. Um, so M- Microsoft can simply play big dog here and it is playing big dog. They've, they now own, I think the next biggest company they'd have to buy to um, to complete to complete t- their takeover would be either uh, buying Warner Brother Games, which uh, Warner Brother has been teasing spinning off for years now, uh, but hasn't uh, mainly um, due to some of the IPs they hold. Obviously, they they still have a, the Batman IP, the um, the Lord of the Rings IP, and that stuff. You know, they still want to be able to make games based on that and keep all the all the profits and the margins in house. Uh, so they haven't actually sold off and pulled the trigger on WB Games yet, but like that or take two. But Microsoft owns now most uh, uh, most of the big names in um, in North American video gaming. Uh, contingent on this deal closing, it's going to take something like eighteen months for this to fully um, this behemoth to fully cohere. Uh, but when it does, uh, you know, Microsoft says that Activision CEO Bobby Kotick is going to stay on. It, that's probably going to work the way all mergers like this work, where he stays on until the legal stuff is complete. Uh, and then he is either actively kicked out or is persuaded to leave the way Bobby Kotick himself has persuaded a lot of studio heads and founders to leave after he bought their shit. So I want also, so that's, this is sort of the, the broad context. This is what Microsoft is trying to do. We're going to get into a little more of the Activision mm-hmm. stuff. But before we sort of, before we do dive further into that as well, this is also, let's look at this from the worker end. This is also related to, uh, or at least partially related to, a unionization drive at Activision Blizzard. Yes. Um, so they've been, Activision's been in the news recently. I don't think it's responsible to say that this merger, this sale is entirely because of um, fair employment, pra- California fair employment practices versus Blizzard, that, that court case or because of the just chronic news items that keep coming out of the company about uh, labor discontent, um, abuse, harassment, uh, the Cosby Suite story, um, yeah, all that, sort of all like that stuff. Misogyny. Yeah, uh, but I would also say that it is probably likely. I would, I wouldn't bet on it, but because it, I don't have money, I, you know, I'm a podcaster <laughs> and, a, and a games reviewer. But if I did have money and I was forced to bet on it, I would say that the news coming out recently about Activision did clear some things up in the negotiating process that allowed this deal to finally reach a consummation. Um, Because we are now a a month, basically, after every partner Activision did business with having someone say in public, uh, we don't want to keep working with these guys. Not that they're going to stop. They can't stop working with Activision. There's just too much money involved. But they'd really prefer they work with Activision without, you know, this Bobby Kotick guy running the show. Now, of course, this is this is all what what we are saying. Um, you can see in quite a bit of uh, the press, they're doing a lot of what they usually do, which is uh, gormlessly reprinting uh, press releases uh, as news. Yes. So this is so from The Guardian is basically reported. Um, well, this is a, clearly a metaverse play. 
where they said Microsoft plans ta- Microsoft's plan takeover of Activision Blizzard puts the tech company at the at the center of two big issues facing the sector: the metaverse and Washington's determination to rein in big tech. So they, well, it's a metaverse, but it could also be an antitrust, which I think in the case of the, which the Guardian has successfully misunderstood both. Um, they said the metaverse is the place where the physical and digital worlds come together. Yeah, man, for sure. Uh, Microsoft Fact check. Microsoft has made clear with its planned 50 billion pound acquisition of, of Activision Blizzard that it expects gaming to be a key feature of this new world. With Satya Nadella, Microsoft chair and chief executive, saying on Tuesday that, quote, gaming will play a role in the development of metaverse platforms. Again, this is just a press yeah. release. That is yeah. just like a press the, release. Recited and that's a book report thing. line. Yeah. Gaming will play a role in the development of the metaverse. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, this is that it is it is absurd um, how I think, again, in, in so much of the um, of the most mainstream press outlets, this has received some pretty uncritical coverage. And how fast too? metaverse wasn't a term until until Zuckerberg made it yeah. one like by fiat. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and the idea that it's like, oh, well, I guess they're going to use, and I think part of this as well, right? I wanted to sort of jump to the antitrust thing right away, just to sort of get that out of the way, right? Because in the, because uh, you say, well, Microsoft is buying, is a huge horizontal, uh, acquisition that's going to give them huge control of the market, right? They could feasibly say, okay, you can now only get Call of Duty on Xbox, even though we said that they're, they've said they won't do that. Uh, and Microsoft sort of, they've been burned by antitrust a little bit before, uh, probably not as much as they should have been. Um, and so what happened was, right, in the U.S., traditionally, the only question an antitrust lawyer for the government is really allowed to ask in this case is, will the will will Call of Duty get more expensive? Or alternatively, will will fewer people be able to buy it? So the consumer welfare standard that they can that they have here is very limited. But I think you can see, right? They already coming. What Microsoft is doing is trying to come out ahead of that by being like, well, though Activision by buying Activision, there's this new thing called the metaverse, which is just the you know this shapeless formless frontier. Second life, but worse. But also, it's conceptually it's a frontier because capital needs a frontier, and so the metaverse is like (sighs) this frontier we can put all of these things into that we don't like to think about, right? Like, is this going to be you know anti-competitive or whatever? Right, we can say, "Oh no! Well, the metaverse is coming. It's out there, and so we need to do something that's going to get us out there, so we can keep delivering for the consumer." And that I'm sh- almost certain is going to be one of the core articles, that, uh, arguments they're going to make, saying that that this is not a monopoly and should not be treated as such. And the and I mean, look, I, I, I in terms of uh, antitrust, at least like the Biden administration is taking its role. As government, like slightly seriously, like the like Lena Khan's like not bad on this stuff at all. So like maybe she'll try to interpret the remit more broadly. But like I, I don't I don't know how well the antitrust thing is going to play with this. I mean, uh, sort of John, I want to know sort of what what's your take on that? Yeah, I think um, if if the test is going to be will Call of Duty get more expensive, Microsoft has a couple big arguments um against that one being the game pass thing the argue, it's going to get less expensive it's um you know activision's offerings are going to get more accessible than ever especially since microsoft is sort of swearing off non first party ex- we sort of have to redefine what first party means since they own so much of this shit now but usually when Microsoft does an exclusive now a windows 10 store and xbox series x exclusive it comes from one of Microsoft Studios proper. 
um, one of the game studios, they themselves and stuff. So Halo, um, when they do a Halo game, that comes from uh, 343, which is one of, like one of the core studios, Microsoft, directly overseas. Um, so when they do exclusives, it'll be through that mechanism. It won't be like Fallout isn't going to isn't going to be uh, becoming exclusive to Windows 10 and Xbox Series X because we'll still go through ZeniMax and Bethesda, which are subsidiaries of Microsoft, but won't be directly overseen by Phil Spector. And, um, if anything, right, I think this sort of shows the limits of what antitrust sort of can can do. Right. Which is yeah. so long as the company sort of badges everything correctly. Right. And sort of puts the products in the right boxes through the right channels. You can get as big as you want, center as much under yourself as you want to. It's the rules that you have to follow are actually quite easy to follow. Like the only reason like yeah. Amazon and Google got caught out is because they are like they are all consuming monstrosities and they can't stop all consuming. But like if you're uh, and even. Sorry. Yeah. Even then, like American antitrust law isn't really set up for what happens when you become the marketplace. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It, it just like it, back when American antitrust law was was doing its shit and was on the ball, a lot of these concepts didn't exist. <laughs> yeah, it's, you could. Um, it was you like, know? yeah, you couldn't say like ah, Standard Oil can't own the platforms <laughs> for like oil trading. No, no, no. Uh, it's it's it can't own the trains or uh, this bulletin board where everyone buys and sells oil. Um, okay, so I, I want to move on from the antitrust stuff, and I want to talk a little bit about the history of Activision and Bobby Kotick. So, Jonathan, I want to first ask you right up, straight up, a question I always ask about everybody who I interview someone else about: Is Bobby Kotick in any books? <laughs> I don't know how to interpret that. He played a character from a book in a you movie. You say he's in a book um, that might be a black book. Yeah, if that color oh, was black. Oh, that book. Well, here's the thing. If he was, there was a Bobby Kotick in a black book, but it was. I, I think his name only had one B in it. Now, he did have an Activision email address. So a different Bobby um, Kotick at Activision in Epstein's black book. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I assume that this would be a, a legalist argument that he would pursue as a very <laughs> sure, litigious man. Sure. And like, it, even if hypothetically Bobby Kotick and, and a certain Jeffrey Epstein knew each other, maybe, you know, that could be for any number of reasons. It could be just because they're both from New York and they enjoyed talking about like where <laughs> to get like a single slice of pizza and a greasy piece of it's, paper. It's Bobby Kotick was in Epstein's Black Book literally just so they could go meet up for a Nathan's Famous Dog. That's all. Just because <laughs> they're New York guys. Hey, they're all New York guys. Ah. They, hey, I'm nonsense here. Oh, <laughs> legally, we're not saying Bobby Kotick's doing that. <laughs> Bobby Kotick's a man above the age of thirty who goes by Bobby. You can sort oh, of interpret oh, yeah. a couple like there's a couple different ways that breaks. And uh, Long Island dead-eyed shark businessman is definitely one. Oh of yeah, them. of course. He's uh he he's like he's like Howard Ratner, but just like with a little bit more forward planning ability. <laughs> um, I think I think that's in some ways an insult to Bobby, and in some ways an insult to Howard. Um, <laughs> compare them so, like that. Uh, Bobby Kotick, right? What he is now, like he's you do tell me about this. He's a this this guy that comes up through New York, has a bunch of business ventures, and he sort of keeps. Failing, but using the investment money and the credit you can raise from him to buy other businesses, and he keeps rolling on and rolling on and rolling on until he lands ass first in Activision. Right? I said failing. I'm not sure. I I, I want to qualify that. Just not succeeding in the way capitalism views success. Like they didn't. No, 
his previous ventures, one of which was for kids entertainment, which you may remember uh, if you're an American uh, and you don't know why you remember that, but you do remember it. They were the ones who localized the Pokemon anime. Huh. Um, that was one of his, one of his earlier business ventures was they were a licensing company. They bought rights that, you know, business guy stuff. Bobby Kotick is, is a lifelong business guy, which is distinct from being a businessman. He is a, a man whose business is business. And from before that became like a Donald Trump into Richie deals joke. Uh, he's a guy like, all right. So there's this, there's this pr- uh, profile of him from 2009. Uh, that appeared in Forbes. And the first paragraph is a story, uh, and it goes like this. Robert Kodak's mother dates his compulsive capitalism to toddlerhood when young Bobby sold her ashtray to a friend who had come over for a play date. He's the boss baby. He is the boss baby. (laughs) He's the boss baby. Each one of these guys has a formative capitalist myth they build about himself, about themselves. Um, And his is... The guy who is doing deals, uh, which is not a unique one by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it is fairly unique for the sector of business he ended up in, because more than anyone else, Bobby Kotick sort of personalizes and embodies the transition of the gaming um, of the gaming industry from focusing on the word gaming to the word industry. He's the guy that made it who helped make it big business. Now there were other guys, the, the, you know, electronic arts was doing much of the same professionalization and financialization at the same time. But Bobby Kotick is the, like the personal avatar of capitalism for this sector. He is Activision. Um, he, he got his start in, um, in, in like a computer programming language because he wanted his first idol. It's pretty clear with Steve jobs because jobs is basically Kodak. Um, but you know, more of the, the West coast, um, in version of insane that he is with yeah, like less the, kind the, of antisocial, uh, less oppositional perhaps. Yeah. And he's eight years older. So by the time Bobby Kodak meets Steve jobs, it's 1983 and jobs is at the height of his power in Apple. Like, He's he's a couple months away from that fucking 1984 ad that he did with Ridley Scott mm. dropping. Um, and he and Jobs tells Kodak, who is currently who is then a student at the University of Michigan, Michigan, and splitting his time between his studies there and his company, um, his company at the time. I don't know its name off the top of my head, which is how you know what's going to happen to it. It's um, it was Arctronics. Uh, and they were involved in some sort of GPU level programming language nonsense. You know, the sort of like basic entry level tech nerd stuff. But Kodak wasn't one of those tech nerds. He was the business guy. Um, so he meets Jobs and Jobs tells him, drop out of college, focus on your business stuff. And Kodak does it. You know who Kodak gets next Absolute as an investor? Man. He actually did it. Yeah. He only gets next as an investor, Steve Wynn. Now, you may, Steve Wynn is a casino freak. Um, from Vegas. And you may remember him because he got a job with the Republican National Committee once Tr- uh, Trump won because he was a big Trump backer. Uh, and then he immediately got fired from that finance committee committee head job because he wouldn't stop uh, wolf whistling at the interns and doing sexual harassment and all the stuff you expect a Vegas casino freak to be doing 24 um, seven. But this is that's the circles he started running in real early in the in the late 80s into the 90s. Uh, it's almost certainly how he got into Epstein's black book. Um, I'm not going to speculate further. 
on anything related to that. But, you know, these are the, he, he wanted to be in the financial elite circles. He got his wish. Uh, he buys Activision in 1990, uh, I think either close to or entirely out of bankruptcy, uh, with a 25% personal stake. And here from about 92 to, to the 2000s, to like the, the turn of the century, legitimately takes that company and shoots it to the moon. Um, they become huge. They become a massive player in the industry. All his bets pan out. His business strategy for acquisition of studios is spot on. He gives them the resources they need and the space they need. He is a king. And then eventually in 2006, he masterminds the acquisition of Blizzard. Uh, from the French media company Vivendi. Uh, and at this point, he is made. Like, there are guys who ha- espouse capitalist ideology. There are guys who um, talk a big game about libertarianism. He is both of those. But he acquires Blizzard, makes it activism Blizzard, and he has the money to call himself a capitalist. Um, and from there on out, it is not a lot of fun times for the people that work for him. Well, because what he said, right, is that this is when he starts saying, I want to take the, the fun out of the game industry. Uh, it's like, I want to... You know where he gave that speech? Where? Deutsche Bank Investment Con. Uh, ah, uh, yeah. Just uh, so, some, some people who, yeah. when they're left in charge of industries, just do a great job with them. Um, but also, yep. he, he also came up with this idea of saying, look... Uh, one of the things that actually is a huge waste of money is changing IP. I foresee a world basically yep. where there's like four games. There's the shooter. We make a new version of the shooter every year. And there's the sports game. We make a new version of the sports game every year and so on and so on. Oh, that's good. That's good. It feels like, you know, it feels like we're kind of heading towards the great convergence by which I mean, you're going to have a game slash film that lasts for a week. Mm. Um, and it, it contains all your favorite IPs, but it's all owned by like two companies. And there's ways for you to spend up to a hundred dollars more on it. Is, um, is, uh, <laughs> Homer Simpson is going to appear in the next World of Warcraft expansion. You're going to be able to play as someone from Springfield. Uh, they're going to be associated with the Horde. And so, <laughs> so, but this is this is right. This is what he does. This is his innovation, or one of his innovations, which is it's all franchises, nothing new. His his the way he talks about it in earnings calls is he wants franchises and IPs that are annualizable and he wants their catalog to be narrow, but deep. Um, you know, he wants to sell maybe a do- like you Ubisoft sort of has the opposite of this going on, or at least a, a different version. They, they make the same game, but it's in so many different IPs like Ubisoft's uh, Assassin's Creed game. Not all that different from its ghost. Re- um, no, you change the, ghost the tower Recon that you game. climb to reveal yeah. the map. And, you know, not that different from The Division, not that different from Watchtower. These are all fundamentally kind of the same game and definitely the same business model, the same game as a service model. But they don't really care about the IP all that much. It's Bobby Kodak sees the IP as the start. And then you take the brand and you go deep on the brand, um, which is why you get a new Call of Duty every year. Why he has three AAA studios, each of which uh, is the size of a, you know, what you consider a normal game producing studio, uh, you know, tag teaming in on one of these titles every year with support studios for them. Um, it's why Blizzard hasn't had a new IP since their acquisition. I mean, as you can sort of say Hearthstone, but that uses Warcraft. Overwatch is new. Um, it's, it's, it's Overwatch. Overwatch is the new Blizzard IP uh, since then. And they, they, you know, it's, it's been, 
it's why StarCraft was two was three games instead of one game. Um, you know, it's it's why there hasn't really been anything happening moving on from World of Warcraft or and honestly why they're kind of losing the race there to Final Fantasy 14. Um, you know, it's 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 tripped up. It's it, it's it's a clear business model and it's hard to say it hasn't worked. But ineffectively, it's worked by making gaming kind of the same as everything else in like yeah. modern life. Right, where it's yeah, it's yeah. M- terrible, yeah, ter- terrible, repetitive, uh, uh, sort of it, it, almost like uh, it, it has antibodies that get rid of anything new, exciting, interesting, dangerous. It's designed to just funnel. It's designed to just funnel as much money upward as it possibly can. Right? It's like it's it's it's. It, it, I mean, it's like if you want to think about like if you want to think about this in terms of you know artisans versus industrial processes, right? Like. Uh, and we were talking about this last night, John. Like gaming used to be like a, a sort of more artisanal thing, yep. right? And there, it's almost like two hundred years of industrial revolution kind of happened over the course of thirty. And this guy was like one of the key figures in it. And yep, now sort of that some of how some of his chickens are coming home to roost. Uh, Microsoft is just coming in and being like, "Don't worry, we're going to carry on your legacy of having done this." Uh, and make sure it becomes basically unshakable by uh, competition, unionization, etc. That like it, yeah. Too bad. Eventually, at some point, you know, a shark loses his killer edge. You know, he stops being, you know, having that instinct, knowing the marketplace. He gets old, sclerotic. It's usually around the point where his net worth goes above a billion. Um, <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I'm actually not sure what his net worth is, but it, after this merger, it's definitely over a billion. Um, you know, he, the, the whole, we have a dozen IP things and, and, but we really go real hard on them. It only works if you actually do that. And, um, like every single Activision product is in the, currently in the process of falling apart and not just because of proximate, um, harassment issues and unionization efforts disrupting them. Uh, their Warzone uh, product offering for Call of Duty is in shambles. They recently just had to delay season two of whatever the current one is, uh, Vanguard, I think it's called, uh, because they're just not hitting performance. Now you can you can blame COVID a little bit, but that but Call of Duty has been in a in a very steep quality decline, um, and their community has been very angry about this for a good four or five years now. The same can be said of World of Warcraft, which is just is not producing content or interest at the same level as its only real competitor in the marketplace. Uh, as I mentioned before, Final Fantasy fourteen. I think at this point, uh, Final Fantasy fourteen is putting out like two expansions for every one that World of Warcraft puts out. Um, and there just won't be new content uh, I, I'm, I, this year, maybe. I, I forget what the roadmap is, but there hasn't been new content for a while since uh, Shadowlands or whatever the last um, World of Warcraft expansion was called. And there won't be more for a while. Um, StarCraft II's professional scene more or less fell apart. Heart of the Swarm, which was their, their attempt at a MOBA, um, fell apart. I think it's, it's, it's product, it's basically discontinued at this point. Hearthstone is completely stagnating. Diablo 4 has been delayed a couple times, and they tried, uh, you know, uh, soothing fans rage with like a mobile game called Diablo Immortal, which was a news item for a while where they like, uh, like they, uh, cause they at, at BlizzCon, which I think also has been canceled. 
um, they they had a they had a they had a, a announcement about a, a brand new Diablo game, and everybody was there was on the edge of their seats. And the Diablo dev gets up and asks, "All right, how many of you have phones? <laughs> Yo, how many how many of you looking at your phones?" Together, we have finally achieved the impossible. We have made gaming not fun anymore. Well, I mean, that's kind of it, right? And, and what to me, what this merger represents is just all of these dead bodies that are bloated like a sort of like a mini boss in a zombie game, right? These dead bodies just taking up all the space in this in this industry. And then and then this merger just being like, all right, we're just going to keep pumping adrenaline through them. And it doesn't matter because that's basically all you're going to fucking get. Yeah. I think, I mean, like, you know, there was, if you kind of like go onto crypto spaces, it's kind of been said in very direct and non-subtle terms. Like there was a tweet that went viral kind of fairly recently, which was largely about how like play to like play to earn, like couldn't come soon enough or something like that. And I think that's like, and that's kind of like a very direct way of sort of saying what these like tech guys really want or what like certain tech guys like want or envision gaming to be right which is like an entirely transactional experience you know the whole like gaming is going to be like a fundamental part of the metaverse like is a bit glib because like it kind of is so obvious to begin with in the sense of like just as how like our current kind of uh like the way which we use the internet currently um you know is kind of mediated around like various forms of transactional relationships um that come as standard like this sort of feels like an extension of that um and where you now just have like a lot of like kind of well you have like a good amount of very like valuable ip and you also have like it like an online framework where you know uh it, it you know it, it, i guess it's i i guess i'm thinking about like you know the crypto stuff the nft stuff the blockchain stuff the gaming stuff like how it's all kind of combining together to create this version of the internet where like everything you do can be monetized commodified transactionalized etc gaming sort of being kind of like a framework for doing that but as we all know like when you start commodifying everything where everything sort of becomes rooted by some type of profit mechanism and like crudely like crucially everything has to have a profit mechanism otherwise there's no point for it to exist like of course it's not going to be fun of course it's just going to be like various forms of indentured labor where you have you know people who are making a lot of money right at the top and a lot of people who aren't really making a lot of money having to uh you know grind their bones at the boss and and it's like gaming now is yeah you have like i said you have two options there are the 10 bloated corpses of the franchises that won't die because we can't let them die because we're still just hoovering up the money from people who are now begrudgingly playing them. Mm. And then if you want to do something else, it seems like most of the uh, innovative energy, if you can even call it that, is in different kinds of pyramid schemes that you're talking about. There's a there's actually coming out of the this merger is a rep the the, the Web 3.0 guys are using uh, the Activision sale as a way to push their new phrase for how they want to integrate this stuff called play to earn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is what we spoke about with yeah, exactly. uh, with Trev when he came on. I I was also going to say that like there's also um fuck what was it? Uh it was it was like related to it was related to play to earn, but it was I mean, you know, I I I guess like to kind of really distill it further it's sort of like we've kind of been through these iterations before where you know even stuff like blogging is now kind of, you know, where that sort of becomes integral to like people's job in some form or another. Like it kind of no longer occupies that thing of like that thing you do for fun. 
content production is exactly like, ironically, I say this, but like content production is sort of the same too, where, you know, as you kind of, as it sort of becomes more integral into the system and crucially, everyone has to sort of is get, gets coerced into some type of content production system. Um, it also doesn't become fun. There's like this much broader question of like, you know, um, is, is, is like being online going to be like a fun thing to do? Uh, you know, once, once like the new sort of internet is in place, or is it going to be like a type of system where again, we are all kind of coerced into it to some form. I, I remember now what it was like a very kind of, uh, a, a very sort of crude example of all this and something that kind of haunts me, uh, every so often is, um, I don't know if you guys remember that Fred, but I, I, it came from like some VC or some like CEO or something where they were like, you know, in the metaverse or in web 3.0, you won't have to like send your CV. Uh, to get a job, we can kind of give like candidates like a game, a game scenario, and they have to complete the game scenario. And this will tell us like about, you know, their, uh, you know, their ability to handle, you know, incoming requests and emails and all those things. And it was basically just like, well, you've kind of just reinvented the E-Tray, but like somehow you've made it sound even like weirder and more dystopian uh, than those types of like corporate games. Imagining Second Life Joker breaking a Second Life pool stick over his knee in front of the candidates. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. This is, this to me, this is all just like, okay, well, you know, the internet's not fun and it's not going to be fun. None of these guys really want it to be fun. They want to make that question irrelevant. They want to make the question, is the internet fun irrelevant? Because you have to be here anyway. Yeah, yeah. So look, uh, I want to sort of bring us back round to the end where we sort of near where we started, which is on the unionizing stuff, right? You said that this, partly this measure is to try to crush Part, it, it's trying to like sort of resist um, unionization. Uh, Satya Nadella himself was already started tweeting about how Microsoft is going to move forward with Activision Blizzard and quote address workplace culture issues, which I think can be seen on one hand as the personal unpleasantness of Bobby Kotick, but on the other hand as being them saying, "Oh look, try unionizing here. It won't work. We're Microsoft. Fuck you." So, John, can you tell us a little bit about before as we end? Right, Activision was sort of one of the more developed unionization efforts at a large scale in gaming, as I understand it. We go into a little bit of why that was. It was becoming a flashpoint. So usually when stuff like this happens, um, there, there's a single move that um, it's management approved in most cases. Uh, it's the walkout. Um, you know, and the Google's, Google employees have done this a couple times. Apple employees have done it. Riot game uh, games employees have done it uh, where you basically get you schedule on the company calendar a time to get up out of your workspace, walk out front in front of the building and not work for a little bit um, as a, as a political statement. Then you come back inside and you get back to work. Um, and the, these had the usual and, uh, and you know, worthwhile, um, you know, uh, visibility bonuses of such actions. They got reported, they got press. Uh, they certainly showed, that there was at least some cognizance of the power of organized workers to do something. But that's usually where it ended. And it, that's not where it ended with Activision Blizzard because Activision Blizzard couldn't fucking stop. They, you know, when they said, oh, we're appointing um, co-heads of, of, of Blizzard to replace the president who had to resign after the Cosby suite uh, allegations were made known, the, the woman that was co-appointed quit because they wouldn't pay her as much as the man. Like Jesus. he would, he kept doing shit like this. He threat, you know, the stuff about him leaving voicemails, threatening to kill his assistant. 
It's not like the the issue with Bobby Kotick wasn't that he was handsy. It wasn't that he was doing this. It's that as soon as it happened, he turned into Bobby Kotick about it. Like, you know, it it became a personal vendetta. He became that business guy. He became that that New York, you know, lawyered up tough guy. And it just wouldn't stop. It could not stop. Like we've got there's uh, so what would ha- what happened? What I think really prompted this was Raven Software, which is also an Activision subsidiary, uh, recently let go a bunch of uh, part time QA guys that they sort of tricked into moving across the company with promises of a full time job. That's happened before. It'll happen again. No one ever really gets punished for it, except in this instance, there was a network set up throughout Activision Blizzard for solidarity walkouts and complaints and public posturing and press uh, availabilities that did not exist before. Like you usually you had community managers for Raven going off about it. Yeah. But you usually didn't have the rest of the company that day, hours later, minutes later, already keyed in and ready to go. And that I think more than anything is what is what scared the people at the top. And now at, at this point, all right. So there's, there was a tweet from yesterday. It's from a woman named Tracy Kennedy. Uh, at Dog Spinster on Twitter, uh, her bio says that she is a producer on Overwatch. She is an employee of Activision Blizzard. She is quote tweeting a a a interview with Bobby Kotick, um, and the tweet she is tweeting uh, she is quoting says in an interview with GamesBeat, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick explained his motive for selling to Microsoft, citing the delay of Overwatch Two and Diablo Four as having principal effect on declining stock prices. Her tweet from a Current employee reads as follows. Bobby, tell everyone about the random projects for Overwatch 1 you all would shove on us. The team would do overtime for only for them to get canceled and for months of Overwatch 2 dev to have been lost. Or how almost entire teams are turning over and citing you as the reason. Don't be shy. Next tweet. Oh, wait, that's right. You hide behind scapegoats because you're a coward. My mistake. The entire world will remember you to be a greedy joke, and there's nothing you can do to change that. We outlasted you, and we won. Bye. Wave emoji. I think she might be being a little bit premature, but that's basically anyway, I where suppose nothing worse the could be coming are. down the pipe than him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 where the confidence level is. Like for organizing to work. It's specific movement organizing to work. You need a clear, you need clear stakes, clear heroes, clear villain, villains. You need a story, and you need material things connected to all those stories. They're removing the villain, like they're swapping him out for Microsoft. And Microsoft is a many-headed beast. This is going to go from you know the the little guys and of Activision rising up against Bobby Kotick, the most hateable man in the world. To a bunch of workplace training and feel good reach outs and conversations and negotiations and lived experiences. And they're going to be able to sap it is what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, look, the I think that in this case, it's the, the, the villain has gotten bigger. But, you know, at, at the same time, you know, the uh, yeah, but the, um, the 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 framework, at least for resisting that this villain is more present here than it has been in other gaming companies, right? If nothing else. And I, I really hope that I'm wrong, that they managed to, to uh, keep this going, keep it be- better, and unionize Microsoft. It needs to be one of these big companies for it to work in tech. You need to get a massive initial buy-in to become the industry standard. Uh, you know, 
And if that means, you know, if they can get the AFL-CIO on board, I'm not sure what the what the regulations are in terms of what industries they can go into and what they can't. But I just don't think any outside any outside union is going to be able to come in and save them, especially because every outside union has their own shit going on right now. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought Activision had a chance of being the flashpoint as long as something like this didn't happen. Uh, now that it has, I think there's a lot more challenges, but I think those challenges could be overcome. Um, it's, it's certainly not the end of the world. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, having the company with open litigation from the state of California and having a, a boss that no one with everyone was embarrassed to be seen doing business with. Those were powerful things for the uh, for Activision's union organizers uh, and losing that is not going to be great in terms of what tools they have access to. And, you know, that just means, I guess, you know, well, got to change it up. We go on. Anyway, uh, noting that we have gone uh, far over time because I was very much enjoying having this conversation, uh, I want to say, John, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And to you out there in listener land, thank you very much for listening to this slightly unusually long episode of TF. Uh, Don't forget, as per usual, we have a Patreon. Uh, It costs $5 every month and you get a second episode of this Plus, you get Pritnology uh, and other kinds of fun stuff. So uh, do try and get that when you can. And if you want to, uh, I'm signing this off like an email by accident. Best wishes, Riley. <laughs> all, all, all best from the heart of the machine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, uh, I think with all that, yeah, we'll say goodbye and see you in a few days. Later, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.